The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out, your host, Beth B. This is James Speed, co-host. Today's topic is, I don't care how tough it gets, I'm not giving up. Is this wisdom or insanity? Do you think of yourself as a fighter, a quitter, or a realist? Do you quit when you should push through, or do you persevere when you should let go? I'm that one. I just don't know when to quit. How can we tell when to surrender and when to push on? Our co-host today is Madame Mazurka, who's smart, funny, and dead. Beth channels her, and we all love it. And our guest today is Erica Myers, who's often been a quitter, but who nevertheless keeps fighting back from nearly dying. How does she do that? Let's find out, and now let's hear from your host, Beth Green, from the Inside Out. Hi, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you again. We are now in beautiful Gold Hill, Oregon. I'm looking out at these big trees, and the Rogue River is not far. And it's just gorgeous. I love it here. So, um, let's see. Oh, my goodness, what a topic. I have gone around and around in my own life on this topic, and I guess you have too. But before we get to that, we have some wonderful comments from last week that I'd like to share with you. So, the first one is from Mary in Kansas City. And for those of you who were not with us or who did not listen to last week's podcast, we were talking about being mean, how we are really mean sometimes, even though we don't want to admit it. And then we talked about how we're mean and what ways we're mean and why we're mean. And we we got a lot of insight in that process. And we started to get a lot of compassion for ourselves, which, of course, is really important. And here are some comments about that show. Okay, Mary said, I can't believe that I'm grateful to discover exactly how I am mean. But thanks to you, Beth, and Erica, Elizabeth, Helen, and Madame Zerka, I can't dance around the truth anymore. Going silent, not engaging in the obviously needed discussion. In short, withholding love by denying someone attention, excuse me, attention is mean. It may be safe, but it sure ain't sweet. Now, I have to ask, where and how did I learn this technique, and why am I still using it? And worse, how do I let it go and get real without being paralyzed with fear? It now seems to me that fear is something we all have in common more than we'd like to admit. Our politicians in the Congress and Senate are exhibiting fear at possibly the worst levels in history. And remember, she wrote this when we were in the middle of, we were about to go over yet another cliff. So that's what she was talking about. And we, the folks who sent them there, are no better. Maybe the guru and Madame Mazurka can weigh in on fear on another episode and bring their far-reaching perspective to our time. That is a darn good idea that we should have a show about fear. So, by the way, again, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, Madame Mazurka 
and the guru are these characters that I channel. Uh, I should I shouldn't even say that I channel them. They pop out of my mouth from time to time, and they are often the co-hosts. Today, Madame Mazurka is supposed to be a co-host, but you never know. Last time, uh, the two of them showed up. So I have another message from Helen. Oh, Helen was our guest along with Elizabeth last week on the Being Mean show. And she said, I wanted to tell you, Beth, and the Guru, and Madame Azurka, that last week's show continues to have an impact on my life. I have been seriously taking on the pattern of meanness and both having compassion for myself and others and being more aware of it and making amends with no resistance. It is helping, and I so appreciate the gift of that show. Now, isn't that divine? I love getting... Uh, email like that. Now, do listen to that show if you haven't already because people really revealed themselves from the inside out. It was really fabulous. And we also got a lot of insights uh, that really helped us. So uh, Helen was on the show and she got some real realizations about where her patterns came from, from her childhood. And she was very touched and it was very touching. So... Now, let's see, we are talking about when to push on and when to give up. You know, I want to say something about platitudes. and You know what I mean by a platitude? It's like a a saying that everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, for example, we have a stitch in time saves nine. That means we should act promptly. On the other hand, we have haste makes waste. So, there you have it. So, those are platitudes and they contradict each other. Well, I would say the same thing is really true about the topic that we're discussing today. We have a situation where sometimes uh, somebody will say to you, the only person who ever fails is the one who gives up. Okay. So let's say you've been doing the same thing over and over again with a different, expecting a different result. Now, that's another platitude that says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So those two platitudes seem to contradict one another. So, I mean, we had an experience like that just yesterday when we were trying to open a combination lock and we did this and we did that and we did the other thing, we kept doing it over and over, somehow expecting a result, a different result, because we were persevering. It never worked. We finally realized that we had to do something else. Now, in that particular case, you could say, well, you were persevering, but you persevered until you figured out another way to do it, which is really a good idea. And it's a, that's a way of seeing that we have stay open-minded about not doing it the same way. So let's say we have a child who is, oh, a drug addict. Uh, Many of you have that situation that's very close to home for us. And this person, you know, you have compassion, 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 you try to help, you have compassion. And then uh, you're expecting somehow or other that the result is going to be different, which is the person, the child, uh, you know, feels the love and gets therapy and intervention and they get all better. Uh, Okay. Uh, And you know something? Sometimes that happens. 
But then you got the guy next door. That didn't happen to us, by the way. Then you have the guy next door, and he's done exactly the same thing. And his child keeps taking advantage of him and scamming him and just using the love as a way of extorting money so that he can go on with his addiction. Now, are you supposed to take your life savings and put it into sending your child to a recovery program or another recovery program or the 14th recovery program because this time it's going to be different? Or when do you say, you know, I'm cutting them off, it's tough love, they'll have to figure it out themselves. Uh, when do you save yourself? Uh, when do you decide that they're more likely to actually seek help if you're not providing them with any means? You know, when do you do that? Guys, this topic is really critical to so many of us. It's not just the drug-addicted child. It's the, I've been having the same conversation with this husband for 20 years. We've been in therapy. We've spent four gazillion dollars, and uh, it's still the same. Whatever it is, we are both doing the same pattern. When do you say, you know, I think we're incompatible, or, you know, it just doesn't work. And now, here's an example of that. So, I had a husband, and uh, we had a lousy relationship, and he tried therapy, we tried therapy, all of that. Nothing worked. We finally broke up, and he goes off two relationships later. He meets an entirely different woman. He's a changed man. He doesn't treat her the way he treated me. (laughs) He wouldn't dare. She wouldn't put up with it. And... uh, He's a happy camper. He's got a much better life. There's a perfect example of where we really should have given up. In fact, honestly, we shouldn't have gotten married. Except that, you know, life has its own way of giving us lessons and experiences that we all love. So this is the very complicated topic that we are going to be discussing today. And we're going to be calling on Erica Myers who called in with a question last week and did a great job. And this is her first time as a guest on Inside Out. And she's going to talk about this. And what, um, what we know about Erica is that she has often been a quitter, and that's the truth. And yet she has some grit and determination because, as James said in the intro, she keeps coming back to life when nobody should. So how do you explain that? So I'd love to introduce... To you, Erica Myers. Well, thank you, Beth. What a great topic. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it also helps me to hear that, um, you know, this is pretty rampant in our society that we all have to face those decisions of when do I persevere and when do I back off and, um, and when you're completely taken over by things that you can't understand about yourself. Mm, yes. Yes, I would agree with that. And um, I would say that I think one of the biggest problems, Erica, which uh, I think what you're saying really points to, is that we are being driven not by rational uh, thinking. We're being driven by something that makes us make these decisions. So we're not making the decisions. The decisions are making us. Uh, For instance, we may have a pathological uh, need to prove ourselves 
And so we keep trying and pushing and pushing and trying because, you know, we're going to make this work. Or there can be a pathological, uh, when I say pathological, I don't mean it in the literal therapeutic sense, but, you know, it's, it's screwed up. Uh, this part of us that says, oh, no, oh, no, no, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. And it's everything, it's all of these things are being driven internally by aspects of ourselves that we really don't uh, uh, choose or have control over that come out of our, our our training and our, you know, our what is what's the is that out of our conditioning? Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the word English because I am here and nobody has asked Madame Mazurka's opinion. Well, Madame Mazurka, we are not going to ask anybody's opinion right now because in just a moment we're going to uh, be going to a commercial break. But when we come back from that commercial break, and we will, I'm going to wait a second before we do that. When we come back, we're going to let you speak, Madam Mazurka, and also invite Erica. But before we go to break, I would like us all to like <gasps> take a deep breath. And if you're listening... I'd like you to think about and just take a moment to think about situations that you might be facing in your life today where you are either pushing and you don't know if you should let go or you're giving up and you should this moment to really do a little bit of introspection. And now we're going to be going to break and don't go away because when we come back, we are going to start sharing. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. 
Welcome back. Well, I hope that you were doing two things at the same time, listening to our commercial and simultaneously asking yourself the question that I asked you before we uh, went into break, which is, you know, to think about yourself and, how, you know, where are you pushing it and where are you not? But before we get into that question or rather get into that answer, Erica, I'd like to ask you, why do you consider yourself a habitual quitter? You know, I believe that it's connected to being fearful and being very attached to retreating and hiding rather Mm -hmm. than persevering and asking for the help that I really need. I think she was about to say the help that she really needs. I did say that. I'm sorry if it cut out. It did, yeah. Okay, great. Okay. So you're you're saying that the re- that you that you feel that you tend to quit because uh, you f- because of fear. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you're you're answering that question about the motive. What's motivating you? What is that you would have a tendency to go into fear, and that that would impact whether or not you give up? Yes, I often will approach something and find the out, mm. find an excuse. Like, I can't get along with that person. That person is too difficult to work with. Uh, I don't want to be around that person. And, you know, I can see it now as an excuse more in 2020 hindsight Mm -hmm. than I can in the moment. I cave in. Well, I would like to compliment you for being on this show (laughs) because you could have said no. And you didn't, which goes to show you that maybe you're not as fearful as you once were, or maybe that you're really trying to overcome that fear. Thank you. I think it is the latter. I don't want this anymore. It doesn't fit where I'm going. I have overcome two deathly experiences, and I've learned a lot about fighting, and this is one more fight. It's on the emotional and it's on the emotional front and old ways of viewing myself that don't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're saying not that you have to change, but that you already have, and now you're just trying to extend that into your whole life. I am. It is a little nerve-wracking to be on a show and just think I'm, you know, in front of a huge stage and <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's just very old. I grew up with terrible stage fright, and uh, I'm not that person anymore. Well, remember, Erica, you're not talking on a stage to an audience that you can't see. You're talking to <laughs> me and James. Yeah, the best. The easiest. Thank you. So, yes, I can breathe and relax, just like That's the rest right. of the audience, and uh, yeah. I think it'd be yeah, a lot because you're ta- I mean, think about yourself as only talking to us. Um, for all we know, we are the only people that are hearing you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, there it is. So, tell us a little bit about these, quote, near-death experiences of yours and what you learned about fighting there, and why did you, since, since we're connecting it to motives, you know, that whatever it is that gets us to fight or gets us to quit has to do with, you know, something deep in our psyche and our personality. Um, 
why don't you tell us a little bit about why you think you made such a fight for your life and tell us a little bit about those circumstances. Okay. The, the first time uh, was five years ago when I had a full cardiac arrest. And this was in somebody's home. I was very fortunate to be with a group of people who sprung right into action and I was revived. I was able to come back. Uh, you were revived by? I was revived. Well, I was kept alive, first of all, by two of my friends doing CPR. Mm-hmm. And, and then the paramedics arrived and they used the defibrillators to, or the paddles, excuse me, the paddles to start my heart again. I understand that it took a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my recovery was pretty fast on the physical plane. Um, but Erica, aren't you, because uh, I happen to know the history because we've talked about it. Yes. Uh, isn't it a little bit more dramatic than that? Um, because you died. I did die. It's it's a, it's an experience that I don't have an emotional attachment to, Beth, because I never remembered anything about it. The only thing I know about it is what has been told to me from everyone else's experiences. So maybe there's something I'm missing um, about the drama of it and... Maybe that's why I've gone through a second experience to really... Mm-hmm. That's to very really interesting. That's very interesting. Well, uh, you know, having, you know, becoming uh, somewhat intimate with the details of the story, it seems to me that uh, the real story is that you were hovering around your body because you also had an out-of-body experience, which you did share, um, and that you did see things that were going on in the room. And then you kind of went into a total unconscious state, and you were gone for a long time. And didn't the uh, paramedics and the neurologists tell you that this was, you're, you're coming out of this as miraculous? I mean, there's lots of people who have the kind of discre- the experience that you described, but they were not as miraculous as your experience. That uh, Didn't the paramedics say that they had never seen anybody recover who had been out, who had been dead like you? Thank you. Yes, I am remembering that. And uh, I understand that I was completely purple uh, by the time they arrived. And they did not have that much hope. Uh, when I went to the neurologist, he said, uh, you know, he had to confirm the facts because I should have been a vegetable mm-hmm. based on what the facts were that I was presenting to him. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, I'm not uh, the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Erica I, Myers, cauliflower. <laughs> green bean. <laughs> green bean. Yes, I think I would have chosen green bean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very remarkable. I think you should say that. I fought back. I came back from the dead. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know how. I mean, because really, it's a very powerful story. And it's very empowering for you to acknowledge that. Well, thank you. I fought back from the dead. (laughs) It was a ridiculous notion in the first place, and (laughs) I refused. Well, I love that because 
again, from my understanding of the whole thing, you were gone, 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 and they thought, even after they got you to the hospital and you were in a coma, uh, they never expected that you would come out the way you have, and um, that it was, and, and my sense of it, Aaron, you know, a lot of people have all kinds of opinions about that, but I have very few opinions. What was happening for, I, I was, what I was saying is that I have no idea really what happens to, to us when we're dead because we only have the uh, reports of people who go into near-death experiences because after they're dead, you know, there's the, the medium has to be the one that's actually speaking and so we don't have that eyewitness thing going on. But in your case, um, you know, my sense of it was that you were just close enough, you know, your spirit was hanging around trying to make a decision about why about coming back or not. And the, my question to you is, why did you come back? Why did you make that fight? Uh, I, I believe I made that fight, and what I know to be true, really, in retrospect, is that I had so much to live for. Mm. I have a wonderful family that I wanted to stick around and, and I wanted to meet my grandson who was just about to be born. And I wanted to know my family and my friends and I didn't want to give any of that up. Mm-hmm. My work is not done. Mm-hmm. Whatever that work continues to be because it keeps changing and redefining itself. But... I have work to do. I'm not ready to stop and give that all up. Well, there is that very important point that you're making. I mean, you had a positive motivation that was causing you to make that fight, that you were going to fight, quote, to the death, in a sense. Very, very quickly, I will uh, share, because I want to get onto another kind of issue here about, you know, what to do and how to know when to persevere. Um, you know, maybe had, had you been at an age or a time where your life was complete, you wouldn't have fought so hard to come back. It wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have had that drive. And I, I suspect also, Erica, that um, you would have felt ashamed of yourself on some level because you knew it was the easy way out. And you didn't want to give yourself that. <laughs> no, that would have been a major regret. And I think that's the last thing I want to take to the grave is major regret mm-hmm. I want to feel like I've made a difference and I want to feel like uh, there's more to me than I know yes yes and uh, so very quickly I'd like to share with the audience that Eric has also just coming through about with uh, uh, with a severe form of leukemia would you like to just give us a two minute heads up on that one Yes, last uh, December I was diagnosed with acute myelogenous leukemia, and uh, it was a shock. I knew something was coming, but I I didn't know what I was in for in terms of the real fight of my life. You know, I didn't have much memory of the cardiac arrest, but this one was moment by moment. I had to be present, making decisions, being clear, asking for help, all of the above. And more. So, so, what I'm actually feeling about this as you're sharing is that there's some energy that drives you forward. And it's not something that you decide to do, it's something that almost decides itself for you, that drives you. And I would say, honestly, 
that that's true in a lot of things. Sometimes we're in a relationship with somebody where we feel, oh my God, I can't go through this anymore. It feels hopeless. It feels, I feel helpless. And there is something in you that you can't even explain that drives you to go forward. The question is, when is that nuts? I see that we have a caller, and it is Irene from San Diego. I have an answer to, I think, where you were talking about situations where we push ourselves and mm-hmm. situations where we give up. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, to sure go ahead to that now? Sure, go so, ahead. It was a great question for me because I realized that I push myself a lot on the physical level, that I will do things that I'm somewhat physically fragile and I'll do things that will stress myself physically and have a lot of confidence, even overconfidence, in my ability to manage things on that level. But where I give up is pushing myself emotionally to... um, to reveal myself when I'm afraid I don't know what the, whether the person will like it or, or some other fear I have. On the emotional level, I, I think I give up very easily. Mm. Well, darling, this is Madame Rosorka, and I would have to tell you that this is true. Okay, thank you, Madame. Well, I am psychic. I am allowed to tell you things like this, am I not? Of course. Well, uh, Madam Zerka, do you have anything to share with Irene that's helpful? Um, yeah, the fact that, is that when we admit what's going on with us, uh, this is always the beginning uh, of, the, uh, of the help. Uh, uh, for this uh, Irene to call in and to say this, uh, she is pushing herself to not uh, throw in the towel, as you say, and uh, she is uh, actually uh, doing the very thing that she needs to do. You know, uh, human beings are very funny, you know. They, they always think that they are going to have this miraculous uh, transformation and then it's going to be look of the you know the uh, the the angels are coming down and they're going to uh, uh, ascend. But this is not like this. This is the um, the for the baby uh, step, as you would say, uh, kind of way that people change. So you try, it's like Irene, Erica, um, you take one step and you are uh, developing the capacity. Uh, to take another step, you know, the baby does not uh, go immediately into the ballet. <laughs> the baby begins with the crawl, and then sometimes with the walk that is more the fall than the walk, and so on. But the baby doesn't give up because it's in its genetic uh, makeup that it's going to keep going. And that's what the baby does. And so if human beings were more like this in realization as adults, that you don't have to make spectacular leaps forward, that the baby step is very good, it's that because of that you develop the muscle and so on. You know, many people have emotional atrophy. 
they have that part of them that would be making these changes. Mm-hmm. That's atrophy. They did, did, did not get mm-hmm. developed at a young enough age. Mm-hmm. So if you take mm-hmm. that child and that child never mm-hmm. crawled and never fell and walked and fell on its face, and so <laughs> that child will never have the opportunity to develop the muscles. So here you are, a 70-year-old woman who has no muscles. So what do you do? You have to go back and be a baby. Uh, well, that was I very love, helpful. Uh, yeah, very. I love that. I love the <laughs> idea of emotional atrophy. Yes. I can really use that. Thank you, Madam Azurka. Uh, very welcome. We have a, uh, a message, by the way, from Helen, who loves to call in. But today, she says, I'm away from my computer today, or I would be listening live. My question is to whomever. How do you know when you are holding on for the wrong reasons, and when you have a feeling about something or someone, and you just don't want to give up, even though everyone else says you are crazy? Now, that is totally in alignment with what we were just talking about, right? Uh, Someone else may ask this question, so you may ignore me if you need. God's name is going to be able to answer that question. The whole question, you mean the email from Helen did not come up on the air? Okay. So someone else may ask this question, she said, and you may ignore me if you need to. All right. Let's see. How do, we, who's going to, Madam Mazurka, do you have something to say? No, it's the guru. I'm going to Barajan on the program, and I uh, have uh, much to say on this topic. Well, I'm really glad that you do because I really have nothing to say on the topic. Human beings usually know their motives, but they don't want to to admit them. It is more lack of honesty than lack of perception. Human beings like to think of themselves in a particular way. This is who I am. And then they become very attached to that idea of themselves. And then they go out into the world and they try to prove who that person is over and over. So, for example, in the example that you were giving earlier, Beth, you were talking about the family who was uh, with the, um, the drug-addicted uh, uh, son, and uh, they don't uh, know what to do with this uh, son. And the, um, the family is usually being motivated by, uh, oh, let's say the mother... Uh, she wants to see herself as a very wonderful person and a very warm and loving person. And that is her model. And so she is going to continue to give, give, give more, more, more and be kind, kind, kind and understanding. Now, is she trying to really solve a problem or is she trying to prove that she is a warm and wonderful person? On the other hand, you may have, and this could be a man or a woman, but these are very stereotypical. So, but I will continue with this because there are so many people who I actually try to live up to these stereotypes. And then you have that man who wants to prove that he is John Wayne or whatever the more recent uh, uh, kind of a John Wayne type of person, which is, you know, I'm tough. So he is going to say, I have had it with this. This is wrong. Uh, this child is uh, abusing us. Um, I will not help him anymore. And he is not also looking at the child, not even considering the child at that moment. He is trying to prove something about himself. That is how brave and uh, how tough he is and what a protector he is of the family. And so 
what I am trying to say is that if you are really thinking about the question that you are asking, um, when are you uh, holding on for the wrong reasons, you uh, need to really look at, are you trying to look like a certain person? Are you trying to prove something about yourself? Or are you really allowing yourself to look clearly and closely at the reality of what is going on and uh, even maybe what might be helping that person? Well, that was helpful, I think. I Thank you, Guru. It was uh, very good. Erica, do you have something to share on that? I was reflecting when you said that about how concerned we are about what other people think of us rather than what we think about ourselves. Now, how I made that leap from what you were, what I was hearing from the guru, but I think that was that is more pertinent to, to me, perhaps. And No, that's a very logical con- uh, uh, connection to what the guru said. So continue. Um, I think that's where all the fear comes from is how could I possibly know what other people are thinking of me and, you know, what I come to understand, it really doesn't matter. It really matters so much more what I think of myself and Mm -hmm. how I feel about myself. And, of course, you know, that ties in with going to the grave with regrets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We set high. Well, yeah. Go ahead. We can set high standards for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's... I understand that it doesn't matter if we actually meet those goals, but just to be able to be on the way and not give up. Well, I, well I, yeah. Well, or 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 let go. Uh, either way, uh, or, or uh, you know, go. sometimes we really should let go. You know, one of the thoughts that I was having uh, listening to the guru and and everybody is that we can make mistakes we can be foolish we might we might push ourselves when we should let go and we might let go when we should have tried but the fact of the matter is that it's all um, it's all happening uh, you know in real time Nobody really knows until afterwards really what uh, what's the right thing to do. For example, I, you know, I've always I've always um, noticed that when somebody hangs in there and um, it all works out in the end, people say, "Well, I knew that I should," or "You were so right to do this." You do the same exact behavior; it blows up in your face, and people say, "Oh, I told you you should have kicked him out of the house." So it's so much of it is, in hindsight, it's so easy to figure out what that person should have done. Or we're so, it's so simple to make a criticism of somebody who, oh, you were a patsy or you were too hard or whatever it is. So the point is that when we're living life, we really don't know. There's no playlist. There's no script. There's no guarantees. And if we're willing to look foolish one way or the other, we do the best that we can. We take the consequences and we hopefully learn. And with that, we are going to commercial break. Don't go away. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be 
bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, BethGreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel, on The Voice America Network. tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Inside Out. We're interviewing Erica Myers and... We don't have a whole lot of time left on today's show, believe it or not, but as usual, we have just scratched the surface about when to push forward and when to let go. The thing I would like to really share is that we shouldn't feel um, guilty or uh, upset with ourselves because, you know, it's the way it is. Um, Sometimes things are going to be a mess. (laughs) Uh, so anyway there's something I would like to share before we uh, start closing down our show the most important thing as Erica was saying is that we have to feel good about ourselves at a certain point when we are going too far we feel shame and disgust now is that because we are just programmed to think we're being stupid when we're being too giving or we're hanging in there or are we uh, feeling shame and disgust because uh, it's something real. Uh, To be be able to distinguish between what we're feeling and what we think we look like is the thing that's really coming up on the show today. And there are so many angles to this topic that we could be looking at in many, many ways. And that is really a critical point because we can feel disgusted with ourselves, but that's really just somebody else's perception. For example, let's say we had a very critical parent, um, and if we make a mistake, that parent would have been shaming to us. Well, if we're struggling through and trying to work things out and discover moment by moment what to do, that voice of that critical parent could be in the back of our head saying, you are such a jerk. You should not do this anymore. And that isn't really our feeling at all. Or, uh, you know, the, the, it could be the opposite. We might have had a parent who said, you should push yourself, you know, no matter what. Uh, I remember being uh, extremely ill 
and being told by people, you should push yourself. And if I had pushed myself anymore, I would be dead because it was really, I needed to stop. You know, my life depended on me stopping what I was doing. So that other people's opinion and the, the, the genesis of that coming from a parental figure or some other figure in our early life, that's a very important thing that we have to really look at is where is that voice coming from? Because I would like to believe that deep inside us, we know when we are complete with an experience. And I would like to make another point about that. It isn't always the external thing that's really going to determine whether or not we should have done something. It's Erica's example is such a beautiful one. You know, she would have felt shame if she had given up and not fought back into life. She would have felt shame regardless of whether or not she actually was able to live again, uh, which in this case she was. So if I have a tendency to give up, I may need to push myself to try something even when it's foolish because what I'm doing is I'm transforming myself from a quitter to a fighter. And if I am someone who's always pushed myself because I have something to prove, I might need to let go, even though maybe there was a chance because I need to stop trying to prove how strong and powerful I am. We need to know ourselves. The most important thing about everything in our, uh, in our life is to learn, to become self-aware, to begin to understand what moves us, what motivates us, and um, realize that life is a transformational moment for us. If you are trying to get your child to stop using drugs and you don't know whether to keep supporting them or not supporting them, you will never get the answer because only in hindsight will you ever know what, what worked. But what you need to do, my suggestion is, to go inside and ask yourself, what is it in this situation that I am working through? Am I working through being the controlling parent that's always trying to make the child do something? Am I working through uh, trying to look like the hero? Am I working through the fact that I tend to give up on people too easily? Am I working through the fact that I'm angry at this child for using and I'm not really uh, looking at their situation and then I don't want to I don't want to face the fact that maybe I may have contributed to that because I wasn't a good enough parent whatever it is that I am working through that has to be what motivates me to make my decisions because we'll never get the answers externally I would say bravo to that what do you think madam Azurka? uh darling I think that's a very good idea because then you can never lose. And uh, Madame Zerka hates losing. When you do that, you never lose because you're always learning something for yourself and you are transforming. Well, I love that and I really enjoy the fact that I'm getting the support of my co-host, Madame Zerka and um, the guru. Uh, yes. If I may, I'd also like to suggest uh, that uh, if people have a point of decision on whether to push ahead or to quit, we might also use an intuitive process like asking the question, is this for the highest good of all, including myself, to push ahead? Or ask it again with the question, to quit. And to bring that in also as a kind of a decision process, as well as the oh, process. Oh, I think that's great. Great suggestion, James. I think that's a really important thing that when we can get neutral and we're not attached uh, to looking a certain way or proving something about ourselves, then in fact we become prepared for the very thing that you were just saying, which is that we can go into a neutral objective place and um, really ask for divine guidance. 
So I think that's an excellent suggestion. Erica, is there something that you would like to share as we're coming towards the end of our show? Well, the, the conversation is really helping me to reflect on the last uh, 10 months of once I got to the point of being of feeling so deathly with the very intense chemotherapy I, I began to climb back up again I knew I had reached my lowest point somehow some part of me knew that I had reached my lowest point and from that point on I started fighting harder I started feeling more driven and I think that feeling of being driven is something that has been the gift for me through all of this that is fabulous I hate to cut you off but we are coming to the end of our show I think you're coming back to it's the energy you can feel it and sometimes we feel that energy is bringing us forward like you're describing and sometimes the energy is telling us to stop 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 and if we get honest with ourselves uh, we may be getting that message sometimes the answer isn't there right then and we want to make something happen in that moment and that's just our ego and when we don't feel that forward momentum the clear energy like the the running stream or the running river when we feel that river energetically it's probably time to move forward but when we feel those rapids um, and that there is that kind of a sick energy around it. If we look inside and we decide it's not a psychological issue of ours that we're blocking, that may be our message to stop. So we'll have to stop now because we're running out of time. And James, will you please tell us about next week's show? Yes. Our next edition of Inside Out will be, Is Christianity Still Relevant? Why must it change or die? Ask Bishop Spong. Here's a man who's been a critic of Christianity and yet still believes in it. Why? A now-retired Episcopal bishop of over 24 years, a biblical scholar, independent thinker, and a best-selling author and world-renowned speaker, John Shelby Spong, is calling for a new Christianity for a new world. As a man who has been threatened and celebrated, John Spong is a true radical. His latest book, The Fourth Gospel, Tales of a Jewish Mystic, reinterprets and reframes the story of Jesus. But if you strip away so much of what has been understood to be Christianity, why bother to be a Christian? Now, that's a question I'd like to see answered. I was raised in Christianity, and uh, when I was in college, uh, science debunked it, and I was persuaded out of it. <laughs> and then, I was, then I flirted back with it, and I uh, went, went on to other spiritual pursuits. So oh, I'd be very James, interested to hear. We are actually out of time, but I don't think okay. people actually heard the question because it cut out. But it was, why bother to be a Christian? So oh, I can't okay. wait to this conversation next week, and I hope that you join us too. Thanks to my guest, Erica, and co-host, Madame Zorka and the Guru, and thanks to you, James, and thanks to our audience and our callers. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a great week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.